0: Turn to Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Remember that in Matthew, Jesus is presented as king. You know, Matthew is presented as king. In Mark, he is presented as suffering servant. In um, Luke, he is presented as son of man. And in John, he is presented as son of God. But in the Gospel of Matthew, we look at King Jesus. And so we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount as the church is in the process of trying to memorize the the Sermon on the Mount during this year. But here is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so when Jesus is giving this sermon, you can kind of imagine it that all these people are gathered on the hillside. And he is giving the standards of his kingdom and he's doing that because the religious teaching of the day had so veered from God's standard and so Jesus is presenting to them the standards of the kingdom of God in contrast to the religious standards of that day. Now in that day the scribes and Pharisees had pretty much established those standards And they had changed God's law. They had changed God's stuff, you know, to suit themselves. And to make it something that they thought they could accomplish. So that they were uh, drenched in self-righteousness. And in accomplishing something on their own. And they thought that God ought to be pleased with that. And so here comes Jesus showing them in this section how they are wrong and of course the goal of the Sermon on the Mount is to show us that we need a Savior you know it is the right thing when you read the Sermon on the Mount and you think Lord I can't do that or I haven't done that and so that's the right result so what do you do you go to the Savior who is going to do that for us and who is going to put that in us. And so Jesus is dealing in these verses with religious activities. And he gives three illustrations. He was talk he talked to them about their giving, their hypocrisy in giving. He talks to them about their hypocrisy in praying, and he talks to them about their hypocrisy in fasting. And so we've spent a good bit of time the last couple of weeks talking about hypocrisy, but he's challenging the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. And so remember that hypocrisy is not, let me just say what it is. It is pretending, it, it it is doing religious things to impress people instead of God. Okay, that's what it is. Um, I had a conversation with a lady just yesterday who said, you know, am I being a hypocrite? And I said, no, you're being honest. You know, the question had to do with, do I need to keep doing this Bible study even though I know that I'm having problems, okay, with depression? And I said, no, depression's not a sin. That's not it. So what is hypocrisy? And I want you to understand this. Hypocrisy is when you put on a show to please people instead of God. And so that's what it is all The way through here that word hypocrite has to do with our word for actor it's when you're an actor on a spiritual stage you put on a costume to be something that you're not and it is for the purpose of impressing people instead of god so jesus is challenging in this passage and really in the whole sermon the hypocrisy of the scribes and pharisees and so what he's doing is he is teaching god's true standard so he's correcting what they're thinking, and you remember, in the in the previous passages, he said, "You say this, that, and the other," but I say to you. So he's correcting it, and so that's that's still the attitude here when he's dealing with these religious activities, because Jesus is showing us, he's giving us a standard for the way a child of God really lives what he's looking for in the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is really like. And always we're going to say, oh, I can't do that. So what do we do? We're going to go to the Lord with it. We're going to take it to the Lord. So we today are in verse 9. But I want to back up <clears throat> to where we were last week and go back to verse 5 when he starts talking to them about the he the hypocrisy in their praying. He says, and when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites. Now, what makes them hypocrites? Watch it. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to what? Be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. In other words, if that's what they want, that's what they've got, and that's all they're going to get. But you, when you pray, here's the contrast. You go into your inner room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And then he says, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he says, pray this way. Pray this way. And so certainly, and I'm really tempted to do it, but certainly we could do a lengthy study on prayer at this point. And we will spend some time, we're going to spend some time on this prayer. But the most verses... And this section on the Sermon on the Mount are given to the theme of prayer. And so Jesus is affirming our need for proper prayer. Not just any prayer, not just words, not just repetitions, but proper prayer. And he's going to teach us what that is. And so then he gives this detailed description of how we are to pray. Now, there are two basic things that are to be the lifestyle of the believer, lifestyle, two things that need to be going on in all of our lives all the time. It needs to be like eating and drinking and breathing, and that is prayer and the study of God's word. Those are the two things that we need to always have prevalent in our lives, and we need to just assume. And so all through here, Jesus is saying, when you do this, when you do this, when you do this. He's not saying if you do this. It is assumed by the Lord Jesus that if you are his, you're going to do this, okay? So these are the two pillars that hold up a believer, prayer and study of the word. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, you'll remember that the apostles said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the apostles got that, didn't they? Well, it's no different today. We will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So even though we do all of these other things during the day, those two things are at the core of who we are and of everything that we do. So prayer is our speaking to God. Studying the word is God speaking to us. And that's how you know when God is speaking. God's going to speak to you through his word. It is alive and well. So sometimes even a verse that you've known a hundred years, you know, will suddenly mean something new to you. The Lord will light it up in your heart and you will see something that you haven't seen before. So studying the word is like eating. It is spirit spiritual food it is food for your soul instead of food for your body this comes to me a lot of times so I'm going to throw this in right here when you go to a restaurant and you're hungry what if you just read the menu and leave are you satisfied what do you have to do you have to partake of the food same thing when you take out your bible If you just read books about the Bible, if you just read other people's opinions about God's word, then you are just reading the menu. So what you're going to do is you're going to read the word itself. You're going to ask the Lord before you get in the word to open it to your heart, to give revelation to your heart about what he wants to say to you. And then... You're going to just read. <clears throat> you know, you don't have to worry. I thought for a long time I had to worry about where I started and worry about where if it just start reading. And if you can, read until he speaks. Just keep on reading. But you will know, and what happens in that process is that your spirit is being fed because it is eating instead of reading a menu. So that and prayer together are two foundations of our Christian life. Prayer is a way of life for us. It's like breathing. Um, we need to pray, though. When we pray, there you're going to find, if you're like me, you make comments to God all during the day or just ask him questions or it's just an ongoing thing. But there need to be those designated times of prayer when we just get before the Lord with what's on our hearts and ask him what's on his heart and he will tell you whatever comes to your mind is coming from him and so we speak to him and he speaks to us so he gives us this model now we you know my goodness in the third grade we said it every day did you i said the lord's prayer every day and we call it the lord's prayer and um that's not a bad thing it's a good way to learn to pray but what it really is is an outline of what all of our collective prayers need to contain Now, remember what he said here he says don't pray like hypocrites well how did the hypocrites pray they prayed in order to be seen that's in verse five and then in verse seven he says do not use meaningless repetitions Um, what was happening was they had decided that the longer the prayers were that the happier God would be with a long prayer so when they ran out of anything to say they would just repeat the same thing over and over again just be repetition 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 and so Jesus is saying "Uh, uh, don't use vain repetitions now let me throw in that it's easy to use the Lord's prayer as vain repetition isn't it you ever just stand up and say it just stand up and say it while you're planning lunch Uh, We've all done it. And so what he's saying is, he says, you have your mind. When you're communing with me, you have your mind on what you are saying to me and on what I am going to say back to you. So in verse 9, he says, pray this way, and he gives a pattern. Now, I want you to notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't teach us about the posture of prayer. Any posture will do. Driving in the car will do. Sitting in the pew will do. Lying down on your face before the Lord will do. He never mentions posture. That was a really important thing to some of the Pharisees was how you had to be standing when you prayed. And so Jesus is saying, he never mentions posture. So he never tells us how to do that. Then he doesn't ever tell us where to pray because there were people then and even people now who think you have to go to a certain place at a certain time to pray and Jesus doesn't tell us where to pray Uh, in the bible you know I was I was thinking through and I was reading about all of the places in the bible people prayed they prayed in battle in a cave in a closet in a garden on a mountainside by river, in the street, in bed, in a home, inside the belly of a fish. I believe I would have been doing a little bit of it right there too myself. What about you? Okay. On a housetop, in prison, Jesus prayed from the cross. So it doesn't matter where you are when you pray. First Timothy says, pray everywhere so Jesus doesn't tell us about times of prayer you know there are some religions today who think at a certain time that's what you're supposed to do Um, he just doesn't give us a specific time so the general gist of this is that we pray in any posture any time any place under any circumstances and you can be wearing anything because some of these people thought you had to have your head, head veiled, You had to be wearing certain things. And Jesus is saying, look, get this. Prayer is about communion with me. And if you want to commune with me, it's okay. Wherever you are, whatever you look like, whatever your posture, I'm listening. I'm listening. That's what he's saying. So prayer is a way of life. And it is a communion with God that goes on at all times. Um, There are times when our prayers are more intense than others. Uh, There are times when our prayers are very concentrated. There are times when we just get before the Lord with broken hearts or concerned hearts. And just, you know, my knees don't do real well. My best thing when I'm just really into praying is just lie prostrate face down. You know, and those times of intense and concentrated prayer are going to be a part of our lives. But so are the prayers where you're driving through town and say, Lord, I really need to get to church today and would you give me a parking place? It's okay to ask for that. As a young, peop- as a young person, I said that one time and somebody scolded me. How dare you ask God for something like that? Well, in my Bible, he says you have not because you ask not. I've parked in the front of Ridges at the the door on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Been a while. But he says, ask me. I'm a part of who you are. I'm a part of everything that you're doing. I want to be involved. Just like you with your children, your grandchildren. You want to be involved in everything that they're doing. You want to know it. You want to be a part of it. That's who God is to you. And he is involved in that way. So there are times when there is very focused, intense prayer. There are times when it's just constant communion. But <clears throat> the Lord's Prayer, that as we call it, is not so much a prayer to be prayed as it is a model for praying. So Jesus begins with after this manner. Um, translations are different but but right there's what he says what he literally says is along these lines pray so he never really says in the original language you need to pray this prayer word for word he never says that he says you you pray along these lines and so what this is is a skeleton it's a skeleton outline for prayer and we're only going to take the first phrase this morning And we'll follow it up with some more things. But he begins with what? Our Father who art in heaven. And so what he does right off, what we do right off, is put God in his place. Put him in his place. This is an affirming of a wonderful intimacy with God. Now, a lot of people have to think about that because a lot of people didn't have good earthly fathers. Many, many years ago, and I think I've shared this with some of you before, but many years ago when I was teaching a Sunday school class, a lady stopped the class and said, it really bothers me when you call God Father. And I said, why? And she said before the whole class, my father deserted me when I was five years old. And so it's so easy to try to get a picture of the fatherhood of God from what our experience was with the earth our earthly fathers but it really ought to be the other way around. We want to get a picture of who God is as father and hold it up to what an earthly father ought to be. And so this concept of God as father is an intimacy with God. It is a perfect father child relationship. Um, God is our personal father. God is a good, good father. He doesn't respond according to his mood. He doesn't respond according to whether he's had a good day or a bad day. He doesn't respond in anger. He responds as a God who is loving and merciful and kind and good and involved in everything with every part of the lives of his children. So there's a huge, huge dimension of meaning in this first phrase Our Father who art in heaven. Think about what it does for a minute. He is our Father. And he is in heaven. Now, that settles issues of fear and hope and loneliness. Because what did Jesus say? Lo, I am with you every now and then. Is that what it says? You say, Lo, I am with you when you've been doing good, when you've had a good day. Is that what he says? No. He says, lo, I am with you. You say it. Always. Even to the end of the world. Lo, I am with you always. There's also um, a verse in scripture, and I think about it sometimes because um, Callie has a song about it, but it says, um, there is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. And in this CD she's got, these children are singing this song, and this child interrupts the song and says, stinketh? Oh, no, sticketh. There is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. That is your father God. That's who he is. And so it places us, when we say our our father <coughs> It places us in a family places us in a family of God's children which is a kingdom and so uh, it places us in a community of faith because I don't pray with my father I say what our father which makes us a family which makes us brothers and sisters in Christ all of us who belong to him It also establishes expectation and need for obedience. My dad expected me to mind him. Did you have one like that? God's position is one where he expects obedience. Perfection, no. But that kind of relationship. And once we learn that what he wants us to do is good and right and productive for us, then he expects us to obey so the very fact that he is father establishes that expectation for obedience but it also provides infinite heavenly resources infinite heavenly resources i remember one time i think i was in college that had this thought um when i go home we'd go out to eat a lot and you know all this business about taking your purse and not taking your purse and taking your purse and i remember thinking i'm with my daddy i don't have to take my purse Well, that's the way we are with God. He's going to give you things to hold that you're responsible for, but wherever you go, you've got him. And he is there to provide and to meet that need. And so, heavenly resources, he says, Look, child, everything I have is available to you. Here it is. There are boundaries and stipulations under which you can come and get it but they're yours and he's overseeing it. So our prayers, all of our prayers are controlled by our recognition, first of all, that God is our father. And that changes everything when we get ready to go to him and ask for something. It's one thing to go to him and ask him for things as he is our father as compared to if somebody that we don't know very well. Before we move on through the outline of the prayer, I want us to talk for just the few minutes that we have left (coughs) about the power of prayer, and we're going to spend some time talking about this as we go through the through the model. But I I wanted to mention this this morning: the Bible teaches us the power of prayer. Um, Prayer makes a difference. Prayer is effective and even when we are praying for something we don't get, then the Lord is going to use those prayers and all of those circumstances in ways that we never imagined. He is not going to waste sorrows. But what he's looking for is for us to partner with him, to continue to commune with him, to watch him, to see what it is he's trying to accomplish. Because we have a temporal perspective God has an eternal perspective and most of what God is doing he will never fail is going to accomplish an eternal goal something that will make a difference forever not something that will just make a difference here so prayer is effective and it makes a difference I was really tempted and it would take weeks so I won't do it but I was Looking back through at the effectiveness of prayer in Scripture, one of the incredible things to do is to go back, Old Testament included, and read prayers that people prayed that God answered and how they were effective, okay? So there's this huge record, and I jotted down some of them. Jacob wrestled and prayed and prevailed with Christ remember that story Uh, Asa prayed and victory was won Joshua prayed and Achan was discovered Jehoshaphat prayed and God turned the enemies away Isaiah and Hezekiah prayed and in 12 hours 185,000 Assyrians were slain Nehemiah prayed and the king's heart was softened. Elijah prayed. 3 years of drought, then what? pouring rain. Elisha prayed and a child was raised from the dead. Believers prayed and Peter was released from jail, and so we could go on and on and on and on. So God is there and God is involved. And so your thought maybe well all those people were prophets. Those all those people were in the Bible. James throws in this little scripture that says Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. And so the scripture also tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now what we're going to see as we go through this model prayer is that prayer is not about pounding God for what we want. Because we're going to get to our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy what will be done so how do i have that relationship with the lord where i know him and i've got that communion with him and i buy into what it is he is doing for an eternal purpose How do I do that? And so he says, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give you that ability. I'm going to give you that power to do that. So you just watch me, take my hand, go with me, walk with me in these next steps, and watch what I do. We don't like it. But it's his promise because he is a good, good.